Welcome to Converse from the Couch from Life Stance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging and informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Happy Pride Month, everyone, and welcome to Converse from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nikki Lanza, and I'm excited for this episode today because we'll be having a panel discussion on the topic of body image and the LGBTQ plus community. Our guest panel includes Jason Clayton, Anita Rosenberg, and Jaden Wishu. So welcome everyone. So great to have you guys here. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having us. Happy Pride. Yes, yes, for sure. Very excited. And I think one of the most important things of why we're having this conversation is because according to the National Eating Disorders Association, the LGBTQ plus community is at a greater risk for eating disorders than the general population. So it's so key that we're having this conversation today. So thank you again for joining me on this conversation. And actually, let's get started. Why don't we start with having you guys tell a little bit about yourselves and what you do for Life Stance. So let's start with Jason. Jason, tell us about you. Yeah, uh, my name is Jason Clayton. I'm the director of social media for Life Stance. Been with the company for a year and uh, definitely appreciate uh, you bringing me on, Nikki, for this episode. You're welcome, Jason. Thanks to have you on for sure. And Anita, tell us about you. Yeah, uh, I'm Anita Rosenberg. I'm an LPC and I do individual therapy with adults and teens and then also couples counseling. Thank you. And Jaden, tell us about you. I'm Jaden Wishow. I am a front office coordinator for the Colorado Division. I am support staff for providers. Um, my pronouns are ZZM. Been with Life Stance for like a year and some change. So yeah, Great. I'm excited. Great. You. Great to have you on with us today as well. So let's jump in and talk about, you know, why are body image issues so prevalent in the community? I mean, as a trans person, like, I know that I have friends who have used or ended up with a really unhealthy relationship with food because of their gender dysphoria and how much they don't feel like like okay in their own skin. And so it ends up translating to this really um, either disordered eating or um, more often I saw anorexia nervosa rather than like overeating and binge eating. But um, yeah, that's kind of what I would think of first. Got you, got you. You know, we as gay men often compare ourselves, not only have to look good, but look the best in the room. And I certainly think that this is largely brought on by the rise of influencers. Um, social media has certainly perpetuated that as well. And we'll be talking about that social media piece in a bit for sure. Anita, what do you what do you think? I also think that there's an aspect of um, like if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, there is so much pressure internally and externally. Like we automatically don't fit into the social norms. So as a means of grasping some sort of control, if we focus on what our body looks like or what other people think of our appearance, mm -hmm. that might help us to fit in in ways that we don't believe that we're able to otherwise. 
Excellent point for sure. And so that brings us circling back to social media, kind of digging a little deeper. How does social media perpetuate these issues in the community? Great question, Nikki. You know, um, it has a lot to do with the algorithm. You know, many of us follow influencers, uh, many of whom have washboard abs, great bodies. They're at the gym five, six days a week, trying to look their best and oftentimes try to look the best in the room. And what happens is based on who you follow, a lot of these accounts will actually show up first in your feed. So you're getting fed this time and time again, multiple times during the day. And so that frequency, I'm sure, has a lot to do with anxiety um, and negative thoughts. Yeah, for sure, Jason. Jaden and Anita? I think one of the issues with like the social media influencers is that there's no end point. You're always seeing somebody that is on to the next thing or has set a new goal for you, even if you were never interested in it to begin with. So you can never achieve perfection because once you've attempted to achieve something, something new is available to you. It's this constant revolving door of an unrealistic beauty standard for every community. And I think that's that key, that hamster wheel, that you're still striving, striving for something that's not attainable. And there is, there's always a next thing that can be put out there too. And we have to keep in mind that, you know, oftentimes what we see on the feed is not real. Um, you know, they may have great bodies, but oftentimes there's a filter that's placed behind it. Tons of editing. We know that there's so many apps out there. Um, you know, I've been guilty of using a few of them in the past myself. Um, but that's certainly something that we have to keep in mind that as we're using social media, a lot of what we see is not really true. That's the key. And I think it's so easy to forget that. You know, I, I like those Snapchat filters. Those are fun. You know, going on Instagram, looking at some of those, you know, makes me look so glowy and so young, but that is not really what I look like. And it's very easy to forget that. You know? And it's interesting because, uh, at least in Texas, was the removal of some of the beauty filters. Uh, and the reason why is because um, the authorities uh, are not able to actually pinpoint uh, facial oh. recognition. So uh, definitely want to point that out because it made the news pretty recently. So, uh, so it's very interesting to see where that's headed. Another aspect, too, of not just what beauty should look like, but if if heaven forbid a really popular celebrity or influence is seen without all of their makeup on or without the professional lighting and they have even the littlest wrinkle or little bit of cellulite that is blasted all over social media too so it's not just this heightened standard of beauty it's how ostracized you're going to be from the group if you're not following it right such a key point that's true we do jump all over celebrities you know or it's so fascinated when celebrities aren't wearing makeup and what they really look like and stuff. I, I think that scrutiny is so vicious at times, for sure. So setting that standard is really severe for the rest of us. This is your body. This is your unique body. It's hard to kind of change uh, that comparison mode. But I think it's important to really kind of look after yourself. Um, because, you know, when you look good, you feel good. And um, I think it's a great model to live by. But when we start to compare ourselves, I think that can get a little tricky. And that's the kicker right there, comparing ourselves. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned plastic surgery, and this reminded me hilariously of someone I follow on TikTok, but like they 
went through this whole like recovery from an eating disorder and are beginning to love their body again and like coming out as non-binary and like this whole thing. And a lot of times you'll see trans people and queer people coming out after or as they are recovering from an eating disorder. Sure. Because it's now, okay, I don't hate my body because of some intrinsic thing. I hate my body because it's not mine. Right. And then you mentioned the, again, the plastic surgery that then can be used in a healthy way. And I feel like reframing it in a way for a lot of people would be a really good thing because like, okay, you want to slightly masculinize your features because you like it. That's a way for you to help recover from an eating disorder. But I don't know if there would be a way to go and more healthily reframe. So Jason, your community, your part of the community yeah. no longer is stuck in this. I have to be youthful. It's like, okay, how can we maybe use this as a tool to recover? Great. Love that Jaden. That's great. A tool to recover. Cause like I hated my body and then I had top surgery and I suddenly didn't want to kill myself. Like, wow. <laughs> Mm -hmm. shocking um so i don't know yeah and interesting ideas like a therapeutic tool even to go and discuss 100 percent. you know can certainly see where you know that has its benefits Mm -hmm. because you know at least you know in my experience i think once people do go or undergo certain uh procedures you know they feel like a new person they feel I am myself now and, and completely understand Mm -hmm. uh, where you're coming from with that. The other thing worth mentioning is that, you know, as at least as gay men um, and bisexual men, uh, you know, in my experience, there are certain cycles that we go through or different phases in our life. Um, For many of us in our twenties, it's very appealing to have a very slender body, you know, a very thin physique, um, that kind of twink uh, body is is certainly something that is appealing. Once you get in your 30s, that kind of switches. Now you have to maintain those abs still, but there's pressure for you to go to the gym and develop muscle tone. And so um, that puts added pressure. And so when you're finally like, oh, hey, you know, I now have these washboard abs, you know, I'm thin, you hit your 30s and there's additional pressure. Now you got to put on 20 pounds of muscle. So you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people undergo a lot of stress because of that. Right, right. Which, let's talk about eating disorders in the community. You know, as we started this episode, we talked about the alarming rate of eating disorders within the community, according to the National Eating Disorders Association. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have such high rates of eating disorders? Anita, do you mind starting us off with this conversation? Absolutely. Um, I think Jada made a really good point before about this idea of not understanding why you dislike your body so much. And then as you get to know yourself, like if it happens to be that my gender does not align with the way that I was born, that is a whole different level. And there are multiple right answers to why it is so prevalent in this community. One of the things is that it doesn't often have to do with your body to begin with. A lot of times eating disorders are initially established as a result of a traumatic experience. And the LGBTQ community 
has a higher likelihood of experience personalized trauma. Um, so that automatically correlates to a higher rate of this. We also have the idea that we spoke of earlier of, I don't fit in because of who I am, but here's a sense of control I can have. If people are not going to accept me for my gender identity or my sexual orientation, will they maybe accept me if I look a particular way? Can me doing this distract from the underlying issues? If people are, that care about me are focused on my health, they don't have to talk to me about these other issues that I don't even want them to know about because they're never going to accept it. There's so many different ways and toxic thoughts that come along with an eating disorder. And it, it's so much of it is irrational. And if you heard somebody else say it, you would be telling them like, but that's not true. But when you're in it yourself, like it feels like this is the only form of reality. Something is wrong with me that I don't have control over, but here is something that I can control. Excellent points. Uh, Jason or Jaden, anything you'd like to add? That's literally a pattern that I've seen in my, like my friends and peers since I was like 16. So, yeah. You know. No, I, I can certainly relate to that, Anita, 100%. And one of the biggest struggles that I've felt, you know, at least in my early 20s, no matter how often, you know, I went to the gym or I ate as much as I could, one of the things that I really had to, um, really understand was there's a certain degree of genetics that plays a role um, in terms of how your body changes. And we really have to kind of acknowledge that and keep that in mind. And so really understanding, you know, use what you can control, accept the body that you're given. It's taken you this far. Um, and some of those idiosyncrasies or, or flaws that you find maybe you'll learn to, to love them down the line because um, in many cases, what you find to be unattractive is certainly um, very attractive to other people. And so that's, that's something that I have found to be the case in the community. You end up finding your people and yeah. exactly. that's the biggest thing because there's, there's a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of crap people. And sometimes like, those people maybe replace your family because your family. Exactly. You, you know, yep. the whole concept of found family is so strong in our community because a lot of the times the bio family just is like, nah, nah, you're, you're wrong. That's not who you are. And it's like, watch me. Right. <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs> Let's talk about barriers to assessing treatment for eating disorders. Oftentimes, people within the community will be hesitant to seek treatment for it. So let's talk a little bit about what would get in the way for, for people to seek treatment. So I'm gonna jump back to Anita since this is part of your specialty. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the biggest struggles is that there's limited eating disorder treatment for the general public. It's a very specialized care. Not everybody is comfortable with treating individuals that struggle with these issues. And there's just limited providers available. But then we add in that somebody who has an eating disorder, we'll just use a cis female, for example, heterosexual cis females perspective and personal issues that are contributing and triggering the um, struggles with disordered eating are not going to align 
with the struggles of a member of the LGBTQ community. Will there be similarities? Of course there will be. But right from the beginning, you're coming in with a different set of core issues and values and life experiences that make a struggle to relate to one another. So if, um, you know, I, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, and if I were to seek eating disorder treatment, while it would be wonderful that everybody here can relate to these disordered thoughts and behaviors I have around food, can they really understand the triggering events related to my own sexual identity that have created some of my struggles and have led me on this path or led me to choosing food as a coping mechanism? Right. I think that's so key of finding clinicians who understand the struggles within the community. And, and you know, to have such a specialty of being a specialist in eating disorders and understanding the community is so key. And there's not a lot of, of individuals or clinicians who have that very specific specialty either. Mm -hmm. So that could be part of the barrier. Yeah, like there's those that specialize in eating disorders, right. those specialize with helping out members of our community here but not a whole lot of those that have that combined understanding. Very true, very true. I was gonna shift gears again. Jaden, you mentioned earlier talking a little bit about gender dysphoria, and I wanted to kind of take the conversation to how does gender dysphoria complicate body image issues in trans individuals? Let's just take all body image issues and then times 10. Like, cause it's not, it's, like Anita said, is that triggering event and then coping with food, but then also just not feeling okay with the body that you ended up with. Um, and then there's the outside influence of, okay, what does a trans person look like? Because if you're non-binary, a lot of times you're expected to be androgynous. Androgyny is closer to looking like a cis man than it is a cis woman. So then you end up with a lot of femme non-binary people trying to go and navigate that. And then so now you're attempting to go and shift your locus of control inward and you're dealing with the pressures. Again, this is specifically for femme indies that is placed on feminine people. And then you're dealing with the fact that you occasionally just don't feel comfortable in your body. And so it's like, cool, let's make the whole thing way more complicated. And then imagine going to a therapist, like Anita said, who maybe can do one of the things and trying to go and educate the therapist is kind of what you end up doing. True, Jaden, that's true. It's literally you educating the therapist then. That's a very good point. Mm -hmm. I now go into doctors with like, you, you, you get tested and if you don't pass, I don't come back. <laughs> So you have your own gauge when you're working with healthcare professionals. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's something that I like actually work with clients on is I help them make their own personal tests, like what's important, but that's beside the point. Um, so yeah, dealing with that sort of compound issue. Yeah. And then you kind of just feel like you can't go anywhere, you know, cause it's like, I can barely deal with this. How am I going to explain it to another person? Like, how do I, e who do I even start talking to to go and find a therapist? Like, right. and a lot of us wouldn't have insurance because we're unemployed and poor and a lot of us are homeless. Um, 
So it's just, it's really messy. It's really messy and really complicated. That it is for sure. So there's my, there's my rant. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) So I was going to shift gears one more time here to talk about toxic masculinity and how that contributes to body image issues among male identified individuals. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are you guys' thoughts on that? You know, great topic, Nikki. Uh, one of the things that we find, um, at least in the gay community, is you can open any app, any one of those dating apps. And one thing that is very prevalent is phrases like no fats or femmes. Um, very toxic way of thinking. So now, not only do we have to have the perfect body, the ideal body, we also have to be masculine. And I think um, that that is certainly the case even today. There's this pressure to be very masculine. And, um, you know, if you are a person who may be more on the feminine side, there's a lot of pressure to, um, to obtain that kind of a deal. Um, so I think that there's certainly an element of uh, toxic masculinity in the community. For sure. I always think of um, like GI Joe versus Barbie, right? Like over the years, Barbie has evolved to all these different shapes, colors, and sizes. However, GI Joe's waist gets smaller, his pecs and his biceps get bigger. There's not a version of him that's a different skin tone or you know questioning of gender. There's there's a Barbie that is in a wheelchair, but there's not a GI Joe that is in one. Like so made the the shift for females at least in some areas I know Barbie is not like the example that end all be all but that has not happened as much for men in general I think like I I struggle to comprehend like where do these ideas of masculinity come from like who decided that the how tall you are the size of your biceps and your sexual conquests have anything to do with how much of a man or you are or not right 100%. I never thought about that with GI Joe. I that you just blew my mind with that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're 100% correct with that. Never thought of that or considered that. Wow. Wow. So I think this is a good point in our conversation to talk about what to do about all this. How do we bring more body positivity to the community? Right? There's such a need for this. So how do we do it? I mean, a lot of it comes down to, like Jason said, social media, but also advertising. Mm. Um, I, every year, because I think it's funny, look at the Target Pride collection, because it's kind of a good litmus test, honestly. Yep. And yeah. the, it's like what body types are being shown, what clothes are put on those body types. The plus size models do not get cute stuff, let me tell you. Like, there it is. So it's like, you're, and it's like a sex accessibility in clothing and that kind of thing. So it's like, okay, how can we push to go and show more like size inclusive? We're talking extra small to seven X designers. Cause we're not getting that in corporate. It's not happening, but let's go and elevate smaller designers. Let's go and elevate queer designers. And so the more people that we can put 
sort of on the radar of our community and show your body is okay. Here, here is something for you. Yes, it's, it's really, it's really meaningful because like fat is not a bad word. My fat friends have like struggled to find clothes. I have one is a bad phrase, but the genetic lottery and I am a gangly little like beanpole. So finding clothes is a lot easier for me. I want it. I want that experience for them because yeah. that makes you feel better. You want to be cute. Like, come on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I 100% agree. You know, I think one thing that I would suggest is learn to appreciate different bodies or types of bodies in social media and the media. There's not just one type um, out there. And I think, especially with the rise of influencers, there's also be, there's also um, a rise of different types of influencers. It's not just one ideal. And learning to appreciate that I think is key. Um, the other thing is take interesting pictures of yourself that show okay. that your body is amazing. Yeah. Uh, learn to appreciate that because your body has taken you this far. Um, and perhaps somewhere down the road, you can actually reflect and say, you know what, I appreciate this. Um, and it's certainly something that I think will help to at least reframe um, some of those thoughts. Uh, also learn to consider that good health and a perfect body are different things. Mm -hmm. So yes, Jason, that is so true. We do, we, we, we think perfect body, great health, but that's not that we need to reframe that thinking. Yes, for sure. And I think you like that. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I think that it doesn't have to be so black and white as like body negativity versus body positivity. There can be that stepping stone of neutrality where you're not just focusing on what your body looks like, but focusing on how your body feels. Also, it's not just about the appearance, it's about what my body can do. There's so many miraculous things the body does on a daily basis. And we also forget that the brain is a part of the body. You know, the ability to automatically think about things, make decisions and quickly in a difficult situation, to be able to like stand up and walk across the room without having to focus or concentrate on it. Like there's so many things we take for granted on a daily basis that prove that our bodies are miraculous regardless of their physical appearance. I, I love that. Our bodies are miraculous regardless of our physical appearance. So true, so true. Well, I wanna thank each of you, Anita, Jason, Jaden, thank you so much for sharing with us today your thoughts on body positivity within the community. So important. So thank you all and happy pride. Happy pride. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you.